0: Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups, and personal experiences that are here to
1: inspire, inform, and influence. My name is Nicola. And my name is Molly. And as I'm sure you're aware by now, this season we are spotlighting entrepreneurs with a purposeful business, highlighting their personal journey and recognizing the value which they create. To wrap up this season, we'll be speaking with Niall Henry, the founder and the CEO of The Blair Project. The Blair Project is a trailblazing social enterprise based in Manchester, which taps into climate change activism of urban youth by providing opportunities for them to participate in green tech revolution through building racing and accelerating innovations in electric go-karts. As part of this, Nile created an exciting STEM education programme called the Proto EV Challenge, Students and apprenticeship teams aged 13 to 19 convert used petrol go karts into fully electric e-carts. Through this, students learn computer-aided
0: design, 3D printing, battery technologies and electronic controls. ProtoEV is able to nurture these students to gain confidence, new skills and aspiration, and then help them onto a traineeship or apprenticeship as well as further or higher education. Its mission is to diversify the STEM workforce and accelerate the world's transition to net zero through sustainable motorsport for all. Welcome Niall it's such a pleasure to have you on our final episode of this incredible season how are you doing today?
2: I'm very well thank you Molly and uh, thank you both to the both of you for inviting me onto the podcast.
0: Great we're very happy to have you here. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about what the Blair Project is and what your day-to-day routine entails?
2: Yeah, so the Blair Project is, like you meant in the intro, is a trailblazing social enterprise that I started when I was 18 years old. And the core mission when I first started it was to make motorsport more affordable, accessible, diverse and sustainable. So regardless of your race, gender, background or location, anybody could participate. The reason why it's called the Blair Project is it's actually named after my younger brother, who is called Blair. He is a former kart racer. And for us as a family growing up, um, it was very difficult to get Blair racing. Um, So, you know, the average cost of uh, professionally go karting is like, for a young person, would be around about 35,000 up to 100K per year. uh, To move up to the next level, uh, which is your single seater style cars that look like Formula One cars, the entry level is like 150,000 up into like 300,000. And then to get to Formula Two, which is just below Formula One, you're looking at between two point five to five million a year. Now, for ninety nine percent of families in the UK, that is just not doable. So, my mission was to try and make the sport more inclusive and getting rid of the or trying to reduce the barriers of money. Um, so, like you know, like if you're a foot, if you've got ambitions of being a footballer, as long as you can afford a pair of football boots. You've got the talent and your parents can drive you to all the games across the country. There's a good chance you can have a career and get to the, either the academies and work your way up to um, the, the, the English football leagues. With most sport, you could be Lewis Hamilton, the best in the world, but if you've not got the money behind you, it's going to be very hard to get there. So that was the aim. And in order to make it more inclusive, we decided it'd be great to go into schools and teach young people 21st century digital skills, like 3D printing, like computer-aided design, like getting them to build uh, their own electric go-kart, and they're working together, and then they get to test and race it to see which is the fastest and the most energy efficient. We call that Proto-EV, but we're using that electric motorsport hook to inspire and infuse the next generation of innovators, technicians, engineers, scientists, and even entrepreneurs.
1: Okay, wonderful. Um, So as we said, we're talking about purposeful business to you, and that's exactly what you are. So how would you define what a purposeful business is to you?
2: Oh, good, good question. I think a purposeful business is any sort of business that is creating positive change within the community and leaving lots of value so for us you know we've always wanted to develop that next generation of uh, innovators technicians engineers to fuel the green industrial revolution and we don't we see it as you know people living in, in communities in you know from disadvantaged backgrounds whether you're black asian you know it could be w- women uh, lgbt disabilities or young kids from lower socioeconomic backgrounds everybody can get involved in this new space so you know and we thought the future is going to be uh electric cars and and net zero innovations you know why can't we teach young people and even now adults from those backgrounds with these new technologies and get them prepared so that they can become they can get jobs within this field and not only just change their outcomes in their lives but for the future generations as well and i think the beauty of the beauty of what we do is that a lot of the technologies that we teach them is practical is hands on and once somebody gets uh, immersed with those technologies like oh wow that wasn't so bad uh, it wasn't what i thought it was going to be and you know for individuals they can get hands-on with 3d printing and then they go off and do a a career uh, apprenticeship or get a a job within 3d printing and that's what we want to do is switch these people on and give them lasting um lasting opportunities and jobs within these sectors so
0: brilliant it's almost like you're gifting purpose to these people as well um
2: yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, for us, it's it creating society and driving change. And you know, the government's all about leveling up. We want to make sure that you know, Emily and Pankhurst said it best: deeds, not words. You know, people talk about all these initiatives, but we need to actually start seeing action. And we're we're like, yeah, we're absolutely going to make it happen. And you know, we're not waiting for somebody to tell us when to do it. We'll do it now and start to create that change. And hopefully other people, other businesses, follow suit. Um, but we are uh, creating real impact and
0: changing lives. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Um, on your website, it says you're a disruptive social enterprise. Can you tell me what that means or what it means to you?
2: Being disruptive, for me, means doing things differently. So not, not just following the same, the same routes that everybody else has gone down. So when I set up the Blair Project, I had this ambition to make most sport more affordable, accessible and inclusive. Now, most sport generally has always been a sport, which is, um, I would say for the elite, uh, there's not too many people from working class backgrounds, uh, involved in the sport. Um, so that was my aim. I'm going to, I'm going to change the sport. And I didn't have a lot of support, um, when I first started. I remember one incident um from a senior ranking female in motorsport we were we were running a, a girls in motorsport initiative um not just to get more girls as drivers but as mechanics and engineers and we were told from that female that you know why are you doing this these girls should know their place they're never going to be a driver um and i just thought to myself wow there's somebody in the industry telling a young, young woman like no you don't follow your dreams know your place in society I just thought you know what I, I'm going to ignore what what you just said I'm going to go out and make it happen and you know for us it's about getting people to the highest echelons of 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 our sport motorsport and that's it just doing things differently not 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 from the norm um and you know for us innovation is 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 core to our business and you know making sure that you are Innovating on new products and services that are going to create lasting change in society. So, for example, you know, when we first started, we ran a, a program called ProtoGP, which stands for Prototype Grand Prix, and we got young people to design, build, test, and race their own 3D printed go-karts. Nobody had ever done that before. And how we actually got round to that was in terms of you know making it more accessible for young people. We thought right. 3D printed, go-kart, 3D printing. We've heard a lot about this technology. Like, would it be crazy if we could actually 3D print a go-kart? And I reached out to, I I went on Google, found where I could get access to a 3D printer, or whether there's was a company that sold 3D printers. And we were based in Wigan at the time. And so there was a company called Ultimaker um, GB, who were based in Chorley. So it was only about 10 miles up the road. And I contacted them that day and just said, right, guys, uh, I'm really interested in finding more about more information about 3D printers. And I've got this crazy idea around about 3D printer go kart. Do you think that is possible? And they were like, absolutely. Hell yes. Come down to our offices. Let's have a chat and went down there, had the chat. They introduced us to retired uh, Jaguar Land Rover engineer called Steve Cox. And we spent from, this was probably, we started the conversations in about January of 2016. And by March of 2016, we had actually built the world's first 3D printed go-kart. And that was, yeah, that was still crazy to think to this day. And so we thought, right, the skills that we've just learned to do this, what about if we could take this into schools and teach other young people these similar sorts of skills? And we called, I say called that Proto-GP, we ran that program for about two years um, uh, with schools within uh, Wigan and Bolton. And then in twenty late 2017, early 2018, we decided, how can we take this program to the next level? And I'd always been passionate about sustainability and making sure that we get to a net zero future. And then that's where the idea of Proto-EV came into play of what if we could just uh, retrofit our existing petrol go-karts and turn them into fully electric EVs, and then young people could test them, race them. Wouldn't that be a, a cool initiative? And then that's how Proto EV was born.
1: Amazing. Now this is a question for I've always well I wanted to actually ask you what is it about motorsports that you need that amount of money, or even in because I, I like Formula One, I watch Formula One. So what is it about these sports where you have to have the money to get to these levels? I've never quite understood why there's that gap
2: yeah i think one of the the reason why it costs quite a lot of money uh in terms of with formula one the technologies are just uh super super expensive to create components for each of the cars you know you're talking about multi-million pound machines um so you know an an average formula one car i believe is about 100 between 100 to 250 million um to make now in karting. that it's, it's like a triple down effect so the cost the costs just go up because they do want to keep it elitist so you know there's not people from working class backgrounds uh getting up there um, so it, it is you can do it at a grassroots level um but working your way up to the single seaters is just not doable for 99 of family 99 percent of families like i said um so what does need to happen and you know what we're starting to see is ever since the everything that's gone on with COVID and black lives matter and george floyd and predominantly lewis being really vocal about how the sport needs to be more diverse and inclusive formula one have actually set up an initiative called we races one and they're really passionate about getting more diversity in the sport not just as you know working on the grids or working as drivers but even other careers within marketing and digital Office, office admin, whatever they really want to see lasting change, and now they're working with organisations like ourselves. Um, so we, you know, like I said, when we first set out, it was to try and get young people from um, from underserved backgrounds to the highest echelons. Formula One, we successfully did that last year. We got two uh, individuals from the Midlands to do a mechanical engineering apprenticeship uh, at Formula One. Um, so they they started their apprenticeship in September. Um, they're doing their first year of training at a place called the Southampton Engineering Training Association. But now uh, are going to be coming up to their first year, finishing their first year in July. And we'll be starting to work full time at Formula One um, from August, which is which is super exciting. And now what we want to do is grow that pipeline and get more and more young people um, into Formula One. And not just Formula One, but eventually, you know, Formula E and other motorsport series as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. Um, can you tell us about the team behind the business?
2: Yeah, so when we first started out the Blair project, it was me, my younger brother and my mom. So we, it's always been a family run business. And you know I think that's one of the strongest things about our organization is that we are family run. So you know for examples like you know other entrepreneurs may set up with people that they don't know or their friends. And sometimes, you know, there can be a difference of opinion or a falling out. And, you know, sometimes you just can't agree on it, on, on certain things. And then you may just part ways. And, you know, the relationship might not uh, be there as a, at the end. Whereas I know with my family, we can have disagreements uh, and sometimes have <laughs> uh, hefty arguments. But we know that we're in it together. And, you know, I, I read an interesting stat uh, about a month ago that I believe 85% of businesses in the UK are family run. Um, and I can definitely see why that is the case, because you know, you've always got each other's back. Um, and so I this probably say for the longest while because um, we've been going for about eight years, it was just us, the three of us. And then around about 2020, uh, we took on uh staff, staff members and we're now at about 13 with a further two joining us at the end of the month. So we are growing from strength to strength and we secure, we've been securing investment um, to take our STEM challenges national. Um, so we're working with schools and youth clubs uh, and adults, not just in Greater Manchester, um, but Oxford, uh, Birmingham and London. Uh, and this is just for the 2022 to 2023 season. And then we, what we wanna do is take our programmes fully national working with every hopefully goal is every young person across the UK
1: that's amazing and now you said you started it when you were 18 so what if you could obviously remember what did you actually need to do initially to set up the business
2: yeah so as i mentioned we are a, a social enterprise and for me just just rewinding back rewinding back how i how i came on this entrepreneurial journey in terms of role models you know my biggest role model has always been my mum so she previously had set up her set up sorry her own uh, businesses being a leadership and, and mentor coach and did a lot of work not just working with uh, uh, clients in in the uk but also in africa and then in about 2013 i just i did a, i did a level three um, software development uh course at college and i came out with really good grades decided I was going to rather than go down the academic route and go to university. I went backpacking across the world, went to an America and Australia, totally loved it. Was meant to travel for a year, ran out of money after about four months, came home and my mom had just returned home from uh, Kenya. Uh, there'd been a terrorist bomb at the Westgate shopping center. And so we were both we both arrived back at the same time. And um, she was twiddling the funds, because she wanted to go out back out to Kenya. Um, but the, the, um, the foreign office had said it's not safe to do so. And I'd come back and was like, you know what? I don't want to go back in working in retail. I want to follow in your footsteps Mom, and be an entrepreneur. And we were sat there on the couch just talking and she was like, well, right. I'm so happy you want to do that. What is it that you want to do? And for me, my biggest passion was traveling. I knew I wanted to do a job that would allow me to travel the world. And it was on, at that moment i turned around and looked at the dinner table and i saw my younger brother on the dinner table and i thought to myself right well if i could help blair achieve his dream of getting to the top of motorsport or just even having a career in the sport then if i could be almost like his agent in some way i would also achieve my dream of going with him and, and traveling the world but then it was like well okay in order you know, you know most sport is expensive how do we go about making it more accessible so anyone can be involved? And that became the core mission of of the Blair project.
1: That's amazing. Um, So you have a new 4 million pound net zero industrialization and electrification skills training center opening up soon in the heart of Manchester city center. Could you tell us a little bit more about this?
2: Yes, so the Manchester Innovation Activities Hub is is a new Net zero uh, industrialization and electrification skills training center. So, we're going to be housing industrial grade equipment for small to medium sized businesses to use the space to prototype new products and services um, to reach net zero. But what we'll also be doing as well is rapidly training up local people living in Moss Side, Hume, Fallerfield, Ardwick, so around the Manchester City uh, region um in in technologies such as battery technologies um power electronics machines and drives um, data analysis and cyber security um and even electrification of vehicles so training them up in these in these skills to then progress them into very rewarding jobs within manchester science park and just to give you a little bit of background behind that so this this was an idea that we'd actually come up with uh, just before the pandemic um so Obviously, with the Blair Project, we were predominantly a seasonal business. So we worked alongside the school academic year and um, doing our pro ev STEM challenge. And then March of 2020 hit, and obviously we went into lockdown, COVID 19 hit, and we were like, oh my God, you know, we can't go into the schools because of all the protocols that are going on. What do we do with our business? Do we fold it right now, or do we find some way to adapt the business? And like I said, we were like, well, we're going to adapt the business and, and find a new solution. So before before lockdown, we'd got some uh, funding from a housing association here in Manchester to conduct a feasibility study, and that was the that 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 money allowed us to go out to New York to learn best practices from organisations who, you know, were doing training training New York residents for jobs within digital tech. And engineering, and giving them practical hands-on skills through boot camp models. So they would do thirteen weeks of rapid intensive training, and in some instances, they would do six months boot camps as well. Uh, and then these individuals could go from earning, you know, twenty thousand dollars per year up to ninety thousand dollars per year, which is a drastic increase. Um, so we came away, we took that research, we put it into a report. And we submitted that report to the wider world. And you know, at the time, our our idea was never to have our own training center. We thought we'd just come in, we just have, we'd submit we'd write this report and somebody else would go and do it because what we found is that Manchester really needed workshop spaces. And um, so for us, with our carts, we had to ship our carts up to Oxford Brooks University in order to do the r and d um because we couldn't find anywhere in Manchester and you know at the t- even now we didn't get access to but we were able to do the R&D at Oxford because we went into lockdown um so anyway wrote this report finalized it in July and then it was submitted to the wild world and then a large property developer called bruntwood um uh, uh, saw this report and thought it would be a great idea to submit to central government as part of the post covid recovery and in august we found out we were successful in being awarded four million for what's now the manchester Innovation activity sub and what we want to do as well as doing the skills training during the day Uh, and these will be one to two day courses or 13 week courses we want to open it out in the evenings to the community so young people and adults can come in and learn and tinker with some of these technologies to really to really get them infused and say, do you know what? This is possible. I can come into Mia, get trained up, and be a leader in in net zero innovations and skills. And skills. So that's what we really want to do.
0: That is amazing, um, a really big next step. Um, just for our listeners, because I know we mentioned it in the intro as well, um, could you give us a quick definition of net zero? Eh?
2: To me, net zero is all about making sure that we hit zero carbon uh, within and making sure we hit zero carbon targets so that, you know, we're not polluting our planet and we're making sure that the planet is cleaner and greener. And, you know, for future generations, we can keep
0: the human race going. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Could you tell us about um, your fantastic lineup of partners that you have, including Oxford Brookes University, and what the importance of having a partner is and how you go about acquiring them?
2: Absolutely. Well, we have a saying in the Blair Project. Um, No one person can create success on their own. It takes a winning team and helping hands. And that message is just all about collaboration. Like, you can't do anything... Individu- individually and i've definitely learned that in the hard way in the very beginning because you try to be a you know what's I, i'm trusting the word like a master of everything you think you can do everything but you you honestly can't so going out there networking and partnering with other, with other organizations who have similar values um or are trying to reach the same destination is absolutely pivotal so you know one of the things that i, I you know we've always done in the Blair project is, is network with individuals who are smarter or who are more experienced than ourselves. So, you know, I had the idea of being, of creating this, the world's first 3d printed go-kart. You know, I came from a, a software development background, but I had no mechanical or electrical, or um, well, at the time it was just fully mechanical, no mechanical engineering knowledge, but I no 3d printing knowledge, but I knew a company down the road, Ultimaker, who were experts in this field, and nine times out of ten, if you just have a conversation with them and say, "This is this is my idea, and this is what I'd like to do," nine times out of ten, people are actually happy to help you uh, help uh, turn your vision into reality. In some cases, you know, you know, people want to be paid for their time, and that's totally understandable. And then some people will do it just for the passion and just want to naturally help out. And you know, for example, with Oxford Brookes University, um, my colleague and my mum, uh, Dr. Marilyn Comrie, uh, she was she was introduced to Gordon Collier, who was the head of uh, engineering, head of School of Engineering at Oxford Brookes, and through just one meeting, we we formed a, a really good relationship, and to the point where we Oxford Brookes became our second home. Uh, and our second base for our Proto-EV uh, STEM challenge. So through Oxford Brooks University, there's a thing called widening participation. Um, so there's some funding, and we'll be working with schools and youth clubs around the Oxford area um, and getting them involved in Proto-EV, but also creating that link with them so that the young people can actually go into the universities and see what it's all about um, to encourage them to go down the route of, uh, whether it's engineering or digital and tech, Um, so yeah, just, just through having conversations and networking can lead to, you never know where it's going to lead, but yeah, it it can create lifelong relationships.
1: That's great. It's nice to hear a little bit about your journey of how you started your link with Oxford Brooks, and so getting recognized by Lewis Hamilton or Sir Lewis Hamilton, as we now call him and having the chance to work with him as you both tackle the inequality in motorsport is very exciting. You know, I was reading on your website and I was like, wow, that's so cool. Um, so. What does this kind of working relationship actually look like? And what do you hope to achieve? Obviously, it's all about the inequality, but just tell us a little bit more about this,
2: please. I think, you know, ourselves and Lewis, we share, we share the same ambition and passion. Like for us, you know, that we've been championing diversity in motorsport ever since we ever since we started the Blair project. It's not just a tagline to us. We actually care because we are diverse individuals. And you know. I can honestly say that, you know, without Lewis being involved in the sport, I don't think there would be a Blair project. Um, My younger brother uh, has always been uh, interested in motorsport, um, has always been passionate. You know, his favourite driver growing up was Michael Schumacher before Lewis started. Um, But I do believe, you know, Lewis... Being a trailblazer and, you know, now becoming the most successful Formula One driver of, of all time has inspired people like my younger brother and other countless young people to say, you know what, being involved in motorsport is possible. We can do it. Um, and now we're starting, if you look at the grids and some of the teams now, you are seeing people from Black backgrounds, Asian backgrounds, you know, LGBT. And that's that's only a positive thing. You know, one of the things that I always say to not just um people working in motorsport, but even in engineering or, or digital and tech is like, you know what? There are massive benefits to having a diverse workforce. If you have a diverse workforce, you mean you're hit he- you're hearing ideas from people from different walks of life, which yeah, greater ideas, which leads to greater productivity, which produces greater revenue costs revenue generation shall i say and it also means you can expand into those different countries from where those people are, are from so why wouldn't you want uh, a diverse a diverse team and people with different ideas and from different backgrounds um and i'm 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 really really hoping that we you know pe- lewis isn't the only person that comes through and we have more representation on the grid um, Because yeah, we we need to make sure that we keep this, we keep the momentum going. And you know, examples like Formula One partnering with the Blair Project uh, and really signalling that they are serious about you know diversity in motorsport through that we races one initiative is only a positive. And you know, for us, one of the future steps that we want to do is to set up our own urban e-cart championship. Um street racing championship so that inner city kids can work with their other young people or work with their dads or mums and build their own electric go-karts and bring them to one of our Proto EV race events and compete against other individuals. So we we liken it to like Formula One meets Pimp My Ride meets robot wars, but you're making it more accessible and inclusive so that every anyone can take part because generally. Most motorsports are done in the circuits in the middle of nowhere. And unless, you know, your family can afford a car and even afford to actually participate, it's just not accessible. So we wanna bring the racing to the cities and bring the racing to the young people.
0: Fabulous, thank you. Uh, Can you tell us, I'm sure you have many, but can you tell us about a key moment when you were proud to be the founder of Proto ev and the Bear Project?
2: Gosh, there's been so many um, throughout this eight year journey. What, the proudest moment? Um,
0: we'll allow to. I mean,
2: oh, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I think I'm so proud to see, you know, when I'm working with some of the young people and seeing where they started out in the beginning, to where they ended up because you know the interesting thing is you find is that so many young people and uh, when they start out their self-esteem and confidence is 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 really really low and they believe that they can't do it and that's because they've been told by maybe their parents or their teachers that maybe they're not smart enough or maybe you know this career is you know for only boys and you know if you're a girl you can't do that and just seeing, and then once they get stuck in and get hands on and they apply themselves, they're like, oh, wow, I can do it. And, um, you know, I would love to have a career doing this. And, you know, seeing their confidence shoot up and, you know, when they start out, they look, they can't look you in the eye because, you know, they're like, oh, this, this is too weird to do that. And then they, at the end, they can look you in the eye, they can explain passionately what they've been working on and what they've been doing. And, you know, see that evolution of change is, You know, it really does make my heart warm. And then the second element, I would say, one of the proudest achievements I would say is, you know, when we started out, our mission was to get young people into Formula One. And, you know, it took us seven years to do that, but we finally achieved that. And, you know, one of the things I always tell, not just young people, but any entrepreneur or anybody who's wanting to be an entrepreneur or even entrepreneurs now is that, you know if somebody tells you you can't do something don't just take take their word for it actually challenge that and you know stay on your grind and say you know i can do it be persistent be resilient and be determined to make your goal or your vision come to life and you know we could have listened to all those naysayers at the very beginning that say oh you'll never do that but we stuck to our guns and you know, we made it happen, and we've now got those two individuals to Formula One, and many more to come. Um, so, I would say those are my two proudest moments so far.
1: That's amazing, and I really love what you do because it sounds very not right. But I've I've grown up watching Formula One, and it was something that didn't stand out as an issue ages ago. Like when there was Michael Schumacher, it wasn't an issue. You just were like, okay, it's just everybody. But then, as it started to go along, and then obviously the era of Lewis Hamilton, you were like, wait. Why is there such a lack of diversity? And when I was watching Drive to Survive after I learned more and more about it, I literally pinpoint, I'll try and like, okay, let's find in the engineering team, people of yeah. diversity. And it just became a habit. And now I literally sit there, I'm thinking, damn, this is really a big issue.
2: No, it, it is, it, yeah. it is. And, and you, what you do need is, you know, thank God initiatives like the Hamilton Commission uh, came into place and, you know, we were one of the, we were highlighted as a best case exemplar of what the hamilton commission is all about you know getting young people from diverse backgrounds involved in engineering stem related projects and progress them into into the sport but what we do need to see is more and more organizations wanting to support young people from uh, different backgrounds whether it's not just in motorsport but in engineering so for example we have 29 i believe it's 29 percent of Uh, engineering graduates from BAE backgrounds are are graduating with degrees but in terms of the workforce it only makes up seven percent now that is ridiculous when especially in in this day and age you know I'm I'm always speaking to engineering employers and they're always telling me there's a skills shortage and we just can't find the talent but yet, we've got so many people graduating with you know first class honours degrees or two ones and we're saying that we can't find people And what we do need to do is have those conversations to say, why aren't those people being hired and why don't you just give them a chance? And if you want, you can work with progressive organisations like the Blair Project or, you know, whoever else. And we can obviously we run training programmes to upgrade, um, whether it's graduates or adults with the hands on skills to make them more employable. So, you know, there's always ways around it, but we do need to make sure that we we do give opportunities to people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And obviously the mission and vision of the bear project is very embedded in what you do, but a lot of other business and I struggle as they go along with, you know, their day-to-day activities, they can kind of get lost. Is there anything particular that you implement or do regularly just to make sure it's sort of, it stays at the heart of the business?
2: We've incorporated something called a strategy house. Uh, I would advise any, any entrepreneur or anybody who's looking to start up a business to look at doing a strategy house. And it basically, it just defines what the vision of the organization is, what the mission is, and what, how are you going, how are you going to get there to achieve the vision and, and the mission? And, you know, we've we we we've only started doing that probably in the last two years, but we share that with all the staff in the organization. And, you know, in terms of any decisions that we make in the business, we do get input from the staff because it's, it, it's better to, you know, not just to, not only just to make them aware, but, you know, it's to say that in terms of idea generation, why not get viewpoints? Why not get different viewpoints uh, from your team, you know? And, you know, there's other members of the team who are probably, I would say, probably more creative uh, than myself, although I'm a natural born creative. But I love to hear different ideas and see, you know, is there anything that we've not thought about before or if different generate any different genera- uh, and different, any different, any different avenues that we could take? Um, you know, one of the things is, well, you know, we get, always get new and op- new opportunities that come in. And then I will discuss that with senior management, um, or even even our staff members and say, you know, what, what do you guys think about this? And sometimes they'll be like, Yeah, this is perfect. Let's let's definitely go down that route. And then for some instances, it's like, well, you know, what, that's not aligned to what our vision and vision is for the organisation. And then I'll sit back and like, you know, what, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, we need to make sure that we are staying on our path and we'll decline certain things, certain opportunities. Um, but that's one of the things that I look to do is to incorporate everybody's input. So you're creating a, a, a what's, the, what's the word? Uh, an encouraging um, workforce, but everybody feels valued within the organization. Uh, and that's what we aim to do so that no one feels that, oh, you know what, my voice doesn't mean anything. And that you know you can come into work and feel like you are you are a valued member of the team and that you know we do people care about you and that's why you know not we have a lot of people who end up staying on staying on longer uh, or staying for a very long time at the Blair project because we do value people's input
0: yeah and that's absolutely key isn't it to creating a good working environment as well um could you tell us about what goals you hope to keep and achieve, um, by the end of 2022 with the Blair project?
2: Oh, so I think one of the biggest goals and, you know, what I'm really looking forward to is the launch of the Manchester innovation activity. So reason being is that, you know, it's, it's, it's two years in the making. Um, it's going to be the first center of its kind in the UK and which is going to be specializing in net zero innovations and, you know, a lot of what research and development happens at the universities but sometimes there, there can be a failure to commercialize those innovations and what we want to do is partner with those universities to make sure that you know and what we by partnering with linking smes up to partner with the universities and taking that commercial commercialization and then smes are creating products that can drastically change our our world and create long-lasting value um and yeah just being able to train up local people and get them into good well-paid jobs Uh, you know i went to go visit a place called the uk battery industrialization center in coventry about a month ago and they're doing stuff around r d around batteries and what we're seeing is that some of this technology is so so new that you know graduate uh, chemistry graduates are are, are, are are graduating with the good degrees going to work there and unfortunately getting poached really, really quick because a lot of employees are desperately in need of people with the skills and what we're saying is that you know what in our centre why not some of these some of these young people and some of these adults can come into our centre get trained up and get these well-paid jobs Um, but like I mentioned that can transform not only their lives but future generations Um, and for us, yeah, growing that, growing that diverse talent pipeline that the industry needs to to reach uh net zero is is what I'm really looking forward to. I would say another thing that we is is really, really exciting me is that we're looking to develop our, our own um proto uh virtual ed tech. So what that essentially is is that you know our current physical proto STEM challenge, we get young people to convert petrol go-karts into fully electric. But what we want to do is uh, young people can build their own virtual electric go-karts and they will know how to put it all together and then compete on a leaderboard system against other young people to see who's got the fastest, the most aerodynamic and energy efficient electric go-kart. And the process is by learning how to do it through the virtual world, when they get access to a physical hands-on cart, they already know what they need to be doing. So we're we're working with a company to develop a a prototype around that, which should be finished by November. And then what we want to do is take it to market and and build on that um, so that we can reach not just young people across the UK, but young people all over the world uh, and get them get them involved in this net zero future.
1: That's amazing. All of those are so exciting and it's just good vibes. Basically, that's what I'm getting from all of it. So now the next set of questions is a little bit more about you. Just try to get to know you. So when you do actually get some downtime, because I'm sure you're way busy, um what do you actually like to do? Do you watch or play any sports? Are you a Formula One fan? Are you a football fan? Since you live in Manchester, just what what which do you prefer?
2: No, I'm absolutely a, a sports fan. I'm a football head. Uh, Manchester United all the way. Good uh, answer. the
1: right answer. <laughs>
2: Manchester is red, although we we're pretty terrible at the minute. <laughs> no, so. To be honest, I will openly admit I've only now probably been factoring in downtime within the last two weeks. Um, It's been pretty chaotic um, just because I, as well as doing the Blair Project, I have Mia, which is its own separate business. And then I have another business um, called the Black United Representation Network. So I've hardly had any, any downtime. So literally, I wake up at probably 7.30 a.m. in the morning and I'm probably working till about nine o'clock at night. Uh, and it's a necessary evil to make sure that you're, you're, you're growing your business. Cause to me, each individual business is like a baby. You have to nurture it. You have to make sure it's fed well and you have to grow it. Um, and so what I've now started to do, cause you know, I've been on this journey. Sometimes you can get burnt out. Uh, so I've now started to use things like outlook and it's almost become my PA and I'm factoring in things like as daft as it sounds, you know, lunch. You know factoring things like exercising so going to the gym in the morning like six o'clock in the morning um and making sure that you get your workout in um i like to go out and i'm making time now to socialize with friends uh, so we have a thursday night catch up we just go out for a drink and just just really just get back in touch um as well as other sports uh you know i like to play tennis uh I think, yeah, obviously mentioned going to the gym. I'm a bit of a wrestling nut. Uh, I grew up, uh, watching, uh, WWF and uh, now it's WWE. So, you know, I like to watch a bit of the old school stuff, um, on the, on the net, on the WWE network. And, uh, yeah, I suppose that's pretty much about me. Oh, and I'm a bit, a bit of a bookhead. So if I'm not, uh, working in the business, I'm always reading books and uh, just trying to, increase my knowledge, uh, mainly around business. Um, although I've been going eight years, sometimes the stuff that you, you learn in the book is great, but you actually have to apply it. Um, and then if I don't have time to read, I'm, I'm always listening to audio books and podcasts. Um, so that, that's probably a, a little bit about, about myself, but you know, one of the things that I am, I'd just like to say that I am passionate about and one of the successes of the Black project is we call it the see me be me effect. And for me growing up, I didn't have a role model in the in the business world. Um, you know, unfortunately in the black community, a lot of our very famous people are either sports stars or entertainers. And, you know, like I said, my my I my mentor or my role model was my mum. But you know, as a as a young person, it was very hard to find. So I thought if I can't find a role model, then hopefully I could be a role model to young people. Um and that inspire them inspired them to either go down the STEM route or to become entrepreneurs in their own right. So,
0: Brilliant. If you don't mind me saying, your passion absolutely shines through you every time you speak. It's amazing.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> no, um, and, I, and, just, and just the last thing I would say is that, you know, the whole reason why I do this, so, you know, is for me, uh, legacy is big for me. You know, whether I change one person's life or whether I change a thousand people or a million, I want to be able to leave uh, a legacy to say, you know, Niall Henry came onto this planet and he made a lasting impact. He changed someone's life or changed, you know, if you change one person's life, like I've mentioned, you can change future generations. So this is what, this is the reason why I wake up every morning and do what I want to do I'll or do, I'll do what I do so that, you know, I am. I have felt like I have made an impact in the world.
0: It sounds like it. And actually, this leads us very nicely on to the next question um, about uh, what Little Niall wanted to be. What did you want to be when you grew up?
2: I wanted to be many different things, uh, an astronaut, a footballer. Um, but I'd probably say the biggest one was I wanted to be an actor. Um, and I always <laughs> I dreamt when I was little to star in films with Leonardo DiCaprio um obviously my path didn't take me there um but i probably said i had that dream up until i was about 15. um and then yeah you know things change priorities change um and then i wanted to be a, a computer programmer and design my own video games you know working for the like for the EA sports and that's when i went to college to do software development and I, like I said, I came out with really good grades, but I just knew that the academic route wasn't for me because I was more of a, uh, practical hands-on visual learner rather than, uh, academic textbooks. So that's when I decided, you know, I'm going to go and backpack halfway across the world and go traveling. Um, and it was, I would honestly say through traveling is where I actually discovered myself. I learned how to be independent, you know, go from, you know, having your meals cooked for you and, you know, your parents do the washing up. So you have to do all that stuff by yourself. Um, And you're meeting people from different cultures, backgrounds, you know, uh, environments. And I'd probably say that was the spark or the foundation to me being, becoming an entrepreneur and being on this journey that I am now. And hopefully it, it never stops.
1: I'm sure it won't. I don't don't think anybody could stop you at this point, so you'll just keep going, so it's fine. (laughs) Now, we're just coming to the end. It's honestly been such a pleasure to speak to you, But and you've also given a ton of wisdom throughout, so if you can pick one, what is one piece of wisdom that you could share with our listeners, specifically for those who are thinking of starting their own social enterprise or potentially have now and they're at the early stages?
2: Uh, I'll give you a couple. I mean, this one's very cliche, but follow your passion. Do what you love. Like for me, honestly, like there's no greater joy than waking up every mo- every morning and working with my mom and my little brother. Like I-, I honestly don't think I would still be here if they weren't beside me. Like you know, they they are my rock. Um, and so I'm doing what I love. I'm I'm tr- I'm working with young people and helping to transform their lives and even adults as well. Uh, you know. I've had certain individuals who've come through some of our training programs and then they've been able to get a job paying £80,000 per year. And, you know, to see that, you know, that's through, I've transformed that person's life through, you know, coming in and getting trained on our programs and then going off to those kinds of opportunities. It's very fulfilling and rewarding. And then I'd probably say the second piece of advice, and I mentioned it earlier, is just be persistent, be, be determined and be resilient and don't let anybody tell you know, and networking uh just making sure that you just have different conversations with people and you know don't feel like you need to know everything because there's always people out there who know more than you who are happy to make your vision come to life so yeah that was probably a a lot that was like three pieces of advice but yeah i won't charge you anything
0: (laughs) (laughs) the more wisdom the better (laughs) yeah yeah uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Niall. It has been such a pleasure to speak to you and have you be the last person on our season three of the Lost of Founded podcast. Um, where can our audience find out more about yourself and the Blair Project to keep up with your journey?
2: Well, no, thank you, Nicola and Molly, for inviting me onto the podcast. It's been, I've really enjoyed this experience. But um, listeners, listen at home, if you want to find out more about myself, um, I am on LinkedIn at Niall Henry, Instagram, uh, Niall Henry as well. They're the only two um, social media profiles that I actually have. Um, And then if you want to find out a bit more about what the business does, um, we're on, type in www.theblairproject.org. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Get Me Motoring. And you can find us on LinkedIn at The Blair Project as well.
0: Brilliant. Thank you again, Niall. And thank you to all our listeners and speakers for joining us this season. What a fantastic season it has been. So keep up with our journey. And in the meantime, please follow us on our Instagram at Lost and Founded Pod. But for now, we will see you all soon. Bye. This has been the Lost and Founded Podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences.